Church, um, my name is Young, and we will now be reading today's passage from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, but uh, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning to you all. Uh, my name is Eugene. I'm a member of the pastoral staff here. I want to welcome you to our service and thankfully you could join us this morning, especially uh, if you're new. Uh, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you'll know uh, we're in our vision and value series. And uh, Jay, Pastor Jay, our lead pastor, gave a vision of a church seeking to be a witness in its area and to its people. And uh, to put it best, that vision is where we want to go as a church. And the values that we're about to espouse in the next five weeks, as we've done in the first already, our values is how we want to get there. Um, the journey we want to take to get to that vision, to that end goal. Now, we have five values uh, and, and Jay kind of went over all of them. Last week, Jay went over what love through obedience means and how we can value that here at True North. Secondly, one of the values that I've been tasked with uh, of expounding on and kind of hopefully defining for us is this, um, the idea of embracing others. I think the tagline that we put is that we embrace one another as we actively seek transformation through the Spirit. What does that mean for us, and how can that value come alive here at True North? Uh, if you didn't know, uh, the Surgeon General in the United States, which is kind of the, the chief medical officer uh, of the nation, uh, declared another epidemic uh, this year. It was something that was probably pretty low-key in the news. I mean, it wasn't one of a viral disease. Um, but early in the spring of this year, the Surgeon General declared that the United States currently is in an epidemic of loneliness. And I heard that and I was kind of like, you know, really? Like, just, you know, we, we can all toughen up. But as I read the report more and he went on kind of a, a pretty big press tour to describe the seriousness of this, he described this, about one out of every two Americans report experiencing measurable levels of loneliness. Uh, meaning this, in our church, I would say more than half of you resonate with that. You might not be able to proclaim that. You might not be able to tell others that, but you kind of resonate. And what the Surgeon General made clear is this. Loneliness is not stereotypical. It is not someone in the sidelines of a party not having enough friends, although it can look like that. 
but he said this, in our current era, we're probably the most connected we've been, and I think Jay preached about this a little bit before, socially, we're the most connected that we've been. We have a social network, we have social media, we see other people's lives on our phones, but at the very same time, although it seems like that, we are more lonely than ever in the recorded mental history of our nation. Not to get too depressive, but I also found out this, when you experience a sustained level of loneliness, your physical health takes a huge hit. If you feel lonely, it's not just something you're like, oh, I'm gonna shake it off. If you feel lonely, your risk of heart disease increases by 29%. Your long-term risk for dementia raises by 50%. Your chances of a stroke raised by 30%. And he even went on to say this, that to feel a sustainable feeling of loneliness is the same as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day for your health. It's an epidemic. And I think as a pastor and theologian, I realize this, that is theologically the most true, uh, accurate, the physical factors show what's happening in your soul. We are not meant to be isolated. Uh, in, in Genesis, what God tells us is this, that we are made in the image of God. And what that means is this, when we believe who God is to be, it's not just a singular God, but we believe in a triune God, a God that is in perfect relationship. And what that means for us is this, we are not meant to live in isolation, that our soul needs to be in relationship because at the very core, that is who God designed us to be. And that is why we take this value to be serious at our church. I'm gonna be honest, uh, when I see values like that at churches or at organizations, I'm gonna be honest, I cringe a lot because it looks like something you'll see on the walls of Fletcher Middle School here, embrace one another. Diversity matters. Be nice. Welcome one another. But what I hope to do is this. Today is to show us this, that Jesus' life and ministry was marked by a radical call for himself to embrace everyone around him, even those unlike himself. So I want to do two things for us today here. Simple. I want to explain what is it? What does it look like to embrace one another here at True North? And secondly, how can we do it? But first is this, what is it? Uh, you know, when I first moved to the Bay Area, uh, back to the Bay Area, I'm, I'm originally from here. I moved up in 2017, and I remember I was driving uh, on the freeways. And for nine years, I'm in Southern California uh, driving. If you're driving in Southern California, you'll know it's great because everyone goes like at minimum 80 miles per hour. So you'll get to anywhere you want to go pretty quickly. But in the Bay Area, people drive like literally 65 miles per hour on the left lane, which confounded me. And I remember one of the first times I come back and I'm driving and I see a Prius and it has like a million bumper stickers and it's all kind of generic like live, laugh, love, love one another and, and in the middle, like right above the license plate was coexist. It's something that you'll often see very often. And what that person is probably trying to portray is this, I'm a very welcoming, embracing person but he's also driving 63 miles per hour in the left lane. So for me, like I'm not tailgating but you know like I'm, I'm kind of tailgating, I'm like please, you're a nice man or woman, hurry up. To my surprise and to my joy, he moves to the right. I'm like, oh, thank God. He slows down next to me, and it's an older grandpa. He looks at me, and he just raises his middle finger, right? And I was like, oh, there's some like heavy cognitive dissonance that we're called to coexist, and yet you kind of give me the cold shoulder there, and I get it. But I often think this, uh, at our church, most of the times when I preach, I need to convince you that what the text is saying is important. Because the text is often very archaic 
and from the Old Testament or the New Testament, from a different culture. I would say this. If I say, hey, Jesus calls you to embrace one another. I would say this. Even if you're new to the faith, even if you're not Christian, you're going to be like, that sounds great. But I think the problem is this. If we don't actively define what that means here at True North, it's going to be just a slogan and a bumper car sticker that we put. That we're like, oh, we're a church that's very welcoming. We're a church that's going to embrace one another, but at the same time, we throw cold shoulders if we don't define it. So I want to do this in the first half of this sermon. I want to be able to define how does Jesus show us what it means to embrace others around us. Um, I'm going to, look, this is a very broad kind of topical sermon, and I'm going to use the story of Zacchaeus as an anchor, but I'm going to throw like just a bunch of points. Whatever sticks with you, take it. But what I see is when you look at the Gospels and you look at Jesus' life directly, I, I think to me there are five things I wanted to highlight of this is, how what, this is how Jesus would define this is what it means to embrace one another in our cultural moment. The first is this, that to embrace one another here at True North and has, as Jesus shows us is that it is active and it is not passive. It is active and it is not passive. Uh, when we were making these values, one of the first words we came up to describe this was acceptance, and there was a heavy debate over it. And the more I thought about it, the one reason I kind of wanted to push back away from acceptance is when you, when you say acceptance, it's, it almost seems like, like kind of like this, like this is the physical feature of us, like, ah, oh, I'll accept you. Like, you're annoying, you're weird, but I'll accept you. But when I look at Jesus, that's not how he welcomed those, especially unlike him, around him. He wasn't passive. He wasn't like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of just, in spite of who you are, I'll welcome you in. He doesn't do that. He's actively trying to seek those that are on the margins to embrace close to his life. When we look at the story of Zacchaeus, one of the first striking features is, is how Jesus actively seeks those out of place when he's doing ministry. You know, Luke's a funny author. Luke and Acts are actually one book. It's, it's, it's kind of connected um, and it's supposed to be one book. And in the story, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and as he describes Jesus' life, and in this instance of Zacchaeus, one thing Luke makes very painfully clear is that Zacchaeus is a man very easily kind of blending into the crowd, right? Um, very directly, Luke says, like randomly, hey, Zacchaeus, chief tax collector. So that means he's kind of a traitor to the Jews because he's probably Jewish, but he's working for the Romans to collect tax. So that's like, oh, you're scum of the earth. Too very rich. So he's like, this, this guy is not only a traitor to Jewish people, he's made money off the Jewish people. And to add insult to injury, he says he's a short man, right? And, and what that probably means at that time is he's under five feet. Now, when you take that all together, you get someone in the Jewish community that is easily lost in the mix of chaos. And when you look at what Jesus goes, Zacchaeus sees that Jesus is coming, and he knows I am an outsider, and it's so hard for me to be seen, so I need to make my own way to find Jesus. So he climbs up a sycamore tree, and in verse 5, this is what Jesus does. And when Jesus came to the place, so he's coming somewhere to probably teach, do ministry, heal, I'm not sure what it is, but it's a massive crowd of people. And he comes, and think about this, there is an active mission. I need to teach to this crowd of people. And yet, even in the instances of Jesus' ministry, he is not passively doing it. He's actively seeking those lost in the margins. Verse 5, and, Jesus, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up 
he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. It's only when Jesus was actively curious, especially for those in the margins, that he was finally able to embrace Zacchaeus for who he was. What does that mean for us? So this is first very simple point. Many of us here at True North, we want to be this. We want, oh, like, I would love to be welcoming. I would love to embrace others. But many of us, if you're like me, you're like, I want to do that, and I will do that to the first person that says hi to me, to the person that falls into my lap, because I feel new. This church is pretty large. I feel disconnected from people. So I want to be nice, but I'm going to wait till someone falls into my lap or takes the first step. And I want to kind of push back here and say this. If this is one of our values, what that means is this, as a member here at True North, we're called to actively seek those and not passively wait for people to fall into our lap. To get a little bit deeper, um, I want to explain this about True North as one of your pastors here. This is a very unique, unique, unique community. As a pastor, um, as the years have gone by, especially after COVID, one of the things I often hear from a majority of people is this, man, I feel very new and out of place at True North. I feel very new and out of place. I, I don't seem to have as many friends as others here. Oh, people here seem to have so many friends and are so well connected. When I'm on Instagram, they're always out with church people and all the time, and I hear that. But the thing is, I hear that from 90% of the church, and I think there is a reason. I'm not blaming anyone, but think about this. Uh, we did a, a poll uh, a year ago uh, of True North, and we had 122 responses. And from that, we found out this. 50% of our church at that time were attending True North for two years or less. That's a big number. Also, think about this. The Bay Area is a very, very, very random, unique place, especially this pocket of the Silicon Valley. I would venture to guess this. Many of you are transient people that have moved here for a job opportunity. Many of you here come from Southern California. Maybe many of you come from the East Coast. Many of you come from all parts of you know, the world. And I would say this, everyone at our church at one point or another feels the same way that you do, that they feel new, that they feel transient. And what Jesus is trying to kind of challenge us with Zacchaeus' story first is this. If this is one of our values, we are seeking to build a church where we don't come to passively consume but to actively try and embrace those around us. That's a very simple feature of what this means. But to peel back the layer second, what it also means is this. If that's true, embracing others means it's curiously seeking others and not ourselves. It's curiously seeking others and not ourselves. Look, everyone wants to be welcoming and nice to people that you like, right? And what that means is you want to welcome those that are very similar to your personality, to your interests, and to your age group. That's just natural to be human. But one thing about Jesus is this. He has always actively embraced those completely different from himself. When you look in the Gospels, any instance that Jesus stops what he's doing and he says, one-on-one, I want to embrace you, any instance, it's with someone that is radically different than himself. It is someone that is not a Jewish male. Think of the woman at the well who's a Samaritan, who's had multiple husbands. Think of the bleeding woman who touches him on the way to heal a dead child. Think of the Roman centurion, the, the sworn enemy of the Jews, seeking his help. Think of even here Zacchaeus, a tax collector, the enemy of his own people. 
taking money from them, and yet Jesus stops. In every instance that Jesus embraces someone, it's always with someone radically different than himself. And think about this too. Jesus ate a lot, and I'm gonna talk about this a lot, but meals are extremely important in Jesus' life. And the reason being is this. In the ancient Near East, meals weren't just meals. Like for us, if I say like, hey, do you want to grab lunch? It doesn't mean much for our relationship. I'm sorry, like to be honest, right? Because it's easy. But in the ancient Near East, if you were to bring a meal and share it with someone in your house, that took time, that took money, and that took breaking boundaries. Jesus did that always with people radically different than himself. To go even deeper, look at the 12 disciples. I, I wish there could be an HBO show on the 12 disciples because it's a wild, wild group. To put it into terms today, it's literally someone wearing a MAGA shirt with like Trump and an eagle. And like, if you're that, it's cool. And at the same time saying, hey, you're going to be best friends with someone that wears a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. That's how radically different the disciples were. You had Simon the Zealot, who Simon, as a zealot, believed that anyone outside of or who betrayed the Jewish tradition should die. And then in that group is Matthew, the tax collector, just like Zacchaeus. Think about the tension there. If you know the Gospels, John and Peter, they had weird, like, bro drama all the time for some reason. They're always fighting. Judas kills him, right, literally. Why does Jesus select 12 disciples? You know, this isn't biblical, but one commentator says, like, why did Jesus pick 12 men and not women? It was because he wanted to be surrounded by difficult people. Why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus make sure that his 12 Disciples, his clique, his crew for his ministry is people radically different from one, and one another. It's because I think Jesus understood this, and what he's trying to impart on us is this. As we embrace others that are not like ourselves, what we realize is this uniformity. When we have people that look just like us, that just talk like us, that just think like us, it breeds arrogance and self-centeredness. But it's only when you surround yourself with others that you can move yourself to curiosity and ultimately compassion and love. Let me say that again. When you are surrounded by uniform people in your life that look, think, talk. Like, for example, in college, you know, you know like, when you pass by the frats, like, all the frat boys, and if you were in a frat, hey, cool, y'all look the same. Y'all talk the same, y'all dress the same, y'all follow the same Instagram, same memes. It's like, hey, what's up, dude? And, you know, it's characterization, right? But, you know, in college, you saw that, you're like, oh, like, I don't want to be like that. But when you look at our lives today, how much of that is to be true? That we're surrounded by people that are just like ourselves. Why? Because it's nice. It's easy. But to embrace others means to find others that are unlike yourself. And as you do that, it will lead you to curiosity, which is the pathway to compassion and love. You know, when you surround yourself with people that are just like you, you aren't curious about anything. You feel like you know everything because you get self-affirmation all the time. It's when you're finally challenged with people who are not like you, who annoy you, who are different, who are completely in a different life stage, that you finally are curious, which leads to compassion and love. Like, practically, what does it mean? It means this. Like, if you're in your community group and you get someone new and they are radically at the different political spectrum, right? If you're left-leaning, you, in their Instagram bio, it's like Trump 2024, if you're right-leaning, it's like, oh, man, they're, they're really woke and about social justice. Let's say that person walks into your community group. 
what this call for our church is this, and what Jesus shows us is this, rather than combating them, rather than gossiping about them, rather than side-eyeing them, can we actively embrace them with curiosity? Because I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Let me get even more practical. Let me speak uh, quickly to the parents as a, as a young parent with humility. Um, like a couple months ago, there was some younger folk that came. I don't even think they're here anymore. But someone randomly asked them, I don't know why, like, hey, how old do you think Pastor Eugene is? And they were like, oh, like 43, 44? And if you're, like, if you're above 40, no offense. I'm 32, right? And I was like, what? And I was like, oh, like he has two kids. Like, you're, you must be hella old. And I was like, oh, I'm not. But I was like, oh, wait, I am. Uh, at our church, what I realized is this. Parents are now, especially if you're a younger parent, it's so hard for us to realize, like, oh, we're, we're the elders of the church. Like, people younger than us look to us for that. And I would challenge us this as parents. Um, man, it's on us to embrace those younger than us and in a different life stage. Like, look, I can tell younger people to do that, but, like, I'm going to be honest. I remember back then I was terrified to talk to anyone older. But our church is on us as parents, as the elders of the church, to seek to radically embrace those radically in our different life stages. Because I, look, as a parent too, I'm not, I get it. Like sometimes being with people that are younger, for some parents, it's draining. Because they don't, they don't understand. They're like, hey, let's, let's hang out tomorrow. It's like, I can't. It's like, oh, you're so boring. It's like, I'm, I'm tired, right? I'm, I don't have energy, right? And I know it's, it's a hassle to do so. But when we do that, not only is it a blessing to them, it's such a deep blessing and transformation to yourself. Uh, like one of the deepest blessings at True North that I've had is seeing my children have uncle and aunties that are not me and Sylvia giving them parental advice on life. Because I'm gonna be honest, Eli's at the age where like, he's not gonna listen to me. He wants to listen to Uncle David or someone else, right? I'm like, hey, that's cool. I wouldn't have that unless I need to get out of my comfort zone and embrace those unlike myself. What it looks like is this, it's to curiously seek others and not ourselves. And as we do that, another thing we need to realize is this. Again, I told you, it's going to be a shotgun, so just whatever sticks with you, hold it. When you look at Jesus' ministry, when, especially in this instance of Zacchaeus, whenever he intimately embraces someone, not only is it someone completely different, it's someone in deep, deep suffering. It's someone in deep, deep suffering. Every person that Jesus embraces and shares a meal with is someone in deep suffering and pain. Zacchaeus even, you could tell he's a social outcast. He has all the money in the world, but he's as lonely as anyone in the ancient Near East. The bleeding woman is suffering quietly in shame. The Samaritan woman at the well is suffering social shame. The Roman centurion has a, a, a daughter that's about to die. The lepers that he meets, they're, they're always people suffering. And this is the thing, I've quoted this a lot but I think Jesus embodies this as we've just seen. Alan Noble writes this, given how easy it is to avoid vulnerability in the contemporary world, we can't assume that just because people around us haven't shared their trauma and suffering, that they're okay. You're better off assuming that everyone you meet is bearing some unspoken burden. I bring this, I think I quoted this at least once a month, and the reason is this. It's so pertinent to our church because this is what Jesus did he actively sought to embrace not the easy people, but those who are suffering. And I'll speak to this as a majority Asian American church. We have been programmed to think if people are suffering, they need space. Because 
what you've realized is when you're suffering, what do you want? I just want to be left alone. Uh, but recently, something that Jay's kind of challenged me with, and, and I think is to be true, is this. People who are suffering don't need isolation. They need others to embrace them. And this is the thing. When you do that, it's not like I'm going to say the perfect thing, the perfect prayer, and they're going to be like, oh, everything's okay. Sometimes the pain gets worse when it's shared with others. But to actively embrace others that seek transformation in the Holy Spirit here at True North, I think is this. It's to be people of empathy and not mere sympathy. It's to be people of empathy and not mere sympathy. Brenny Brown has really good talk on this, and as much of this is from her, but she puts it this way. If there's a hole and someone's stuck there, there are three things you can do. You can walk by and be like, not my problem, and walk straight through. But I would say this, mostly as Christians, we're like, oh, we can't do that. We need to embrace them. But most of us do the second thing. We just stop the mere sympathy. And what sympathy is, is when you see someone at the hole, you walk by and you're like, oh, hello, are you down there? It's like, yeah. Is it dark? Yeah. Does it suck? Yeah. Hang in there. And then you walk by. You're like, ah, oh, pat myself on the back. I'm good. That is not how Jesus embraced those who are suffering. See, what Brandon Brown says is rather than sympathy, there's a deeper option, which is empathy. Empathy is the action of not just looking and saying, man, I'm going to point out that sucks, and I, I, I'm there with you, but climbing down into that hole and sitting in the darkness, awkwardness, and uncomfortableness with that person. That's what embracing others here at Toronto looks like. It's uncomfortable, it's awkward, it's taxing, but that's what Jesus shows us embracing others to be. It's to move towards suffering and not away. From that, one thing we also see is this. As, it, as Jesus approaches those who suffer, you realize this. Jesus is not just seeking to accept everyone, but to radically embrace them so that they can be transformed. Meaning, it's embracing others. It seeks transformation and not the superficial. I would say this. Jesus' hospitality is much different than what many of us picture Jesus to be. Uh, oftentimes, the American culture has painted Jesus to be like this, you know, this hippie Santa Cruz dad that's like, hey, man, like, everything's cool. Like, you, hey, you, you did anything? I, I, I love you. I accept you. But Jesus is, is not that. It's actually radically, radically different. He walks this fine line of radically embracing and accepting everyone around him. Those that have been cast out, those who have been deemed, you cannot be accepted in society. Jesus embraces them, but doesn't just leave them there, but he actively seeks to transform them. Any intimate encounter or meal, Jesus either leaves them healed or convicted of their sin. And I think at True North, one thing that we need to fight for is if we're called to embrace one another, I want to be clear, it doesn't mean that it's just Hey, come as you are, which is completely true at True North. Part of this means I hope we can build a culture where anyone can unashamedly come as they are to our church and feel embraced, feel accepted, and feel welcomed. But at the same time, you cannot leave as you were. Jesus doesn't allow that to happen. And in the same way, our embracing has to carry that. So meaning this, even in our relationships at church, are we embracing ourselves to radical transformation in the spirit or are we staying comfortably in the superficial? 
I'm gonna be honest, for a lot of us, including myself, it's so easy to do. Like, I'm gonna embrace everyone, but leave it right at that superficial level where I can meet as many people as possible. I can, I know everyone's name, but I'm gonna stop right at after, hey, how was work? And if it's like, oh, it's tough, it's like, oh, I'm praying for you, you know? What Jesus is asking us is to go much deeper than that. It's to seek transformation, not superficial. We're gonna talk about that even more practically in a couple weeks as we talk about building community, so I'll leave that. But most importantly, if you could leave with one thing from this sermon, I hope it's this. Embracing others, it's to witness and not just to be nice people. Embracing others, it's to be a good witness and not just to be nice people. Our hospitality, our welcome, our acceptance, our embracing, it's not just to feel good about ourselves. It's not to be a church where like, oh, kumbaya, everyone's happy, I'm a nice person, pat on the back. That is not the point of this value that we have at True North. Think about this. Oftentimes, when we think about evangelism, and being a witness, what we often think is this. If you walk in the mall, there are people often with clipboards that like come out of nowhere and be like, hey, will you save this endangered species, right? And they badge you with questions. And I'm gonna be honest, no matter how you know, virtuous that cause is, as a person, it's like, ah, oh, like, I'm okay. Please don't talk to me, right? I just, I've mastered the art of like, just, just look away and keep walking, right? And this is the thing. Many of us think evangelism, oh, that's what it is. It's like, hey, like, do you know Jesus? Oh, you don't? Sign here, and I can tell you more. And we have this fear, if that's what evangelism is, if that's what witnessing is, I don't want to do it. But what Jesus shows us is that is not how he shared his own message. You know, what's interesting is, as I've thought about the, the gospels and how Jesus interacted and embraced others, when Jesus encountered those who said, I believe and I want to follow, what he would give is a message. He would give a sermon. He would give a parable and a teaching. When Jesus met those outside of the faith, he would give them a meal. He would give them embracing. He would give them welcome and hospitality. To get a little bit even deeper, in the Gospel of Luke, the, the key term that Jesus described is, is as the Son of Man. The Son of Man has heavy Old Testament importance from the prophecy of Daniel. Because what Daniel says is, someone called the Son of Man will come and save those in God's fold. Now, in Luke's gospel, that's an important phrase of how you describe what Jesus to be. And this is what Jesus says, or Luke says. There are two ways the Son of Man is used. The first is this. The Son of Man, as we've just seen in Zacchaeus, has come to seek and save the lost. Sounds very much like Jesus. Like, oh, that's awesome. The other instance, as used as often, is this. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Whoa. Why, why do I need to know that Jesus likes to do that? I think what it tells us is this. Tim Chester puts it this way. To, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That is Jesus' mission. That's, his, that's what his purpose of his gospel is. Well, how does he do it? The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. That's the method in how Jesus allowed his message to become true. Tim Chester puts it, well, there's a book called Meals with Jesus. It's great. It's basically a theology of food, and I wish we could do a sermon series on that, but Tim Chester writes this. The Son of Man is Daniel's label for one who comes before God to receive authority over the nations. And now Jesus, the Son of Man, has come. But how does he come? Does he come with an army of angels? Does he come on the clouds of heaven? Does he come with a blaze of glory? No. He comes eating and drinking. Huh. 
he continues to write this. Jesus says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, from Luke chapter 7, verse 34. A glutton, of course, is someone who eats too much, and a drunkard is someone who drinks too much. Jesus was so seriously into eating and drinking, so much so that his enemies accused him of doing it to excess. He was a party animal. His mission strategy was a long meal stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship around a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. When, we, like, when I see embracing others, I cringe. Because oftentimes it's like, oh, like, we just want to feel nice and do that. That's not the value's purpose here at True North. This is of utmost importance because this is how the gospel is shared to those who don't know Jesus. To get even deeper, I would say this. Belief, it's not just informational. Belief is a combination of information and experience and relationship. You know this to be true. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus here, look at your own testimony. Like, was it a sermon that saved you? Maybe, maybe. But I'm gonna be honest, for most of us, it wasn't. We had all the information for a long time. It was some random dude who said, hey, do you wanna get tacos at 11 p.m. for me? It was a random group of people that said, hey, we're gonna play fantasy football and call it Jesus Fantasy Football. Do you wanna join? And what I realized is this, look, Jay and I, every week, hopefully clearly preach the gospel, the information needed. But every week, I don't see people accepting Christ on here, on the ground. Why? Maybe we suck. Maybe. That's, that's one thing. Or maybe belief is more than just information. Maybe belief is information mixing with the experiential and relationship. I want to drive this even clearer because I think this is of utmost importance of why we're called to be embracing others, to be hospitable and welcoming. If I tell you Yosemite is beautiful, can I make you believe that? Maybe. But I would say this. How many of you have been to Yosemite? For me, um, I went to Yosemite a lot as a kid, but I, I, it's hard for me to remember anything. And I remember in the early, like, 2010s, it was, like, cool to try and act like you're a nature explorer. Like, everyone would post about that. So I was like, oh, I want to do that. So me and my wife decided to go to Yosemite for the first time as adults in Thanksgiving of 2016. And I remember everyone had told me Yosemite is beautiful. And I was like, oh, I, I think I believe it. I've seen it. I've read about it. People have posted about it on Instagram. But you don't believe it until you step foot at the tunnel view location where you're surrounded by other people in awe. You smell it, you hear it, you see it. And the beauty becomes real. That's why this is so important. For Jesus to be real and beautiful. This message that Jesus came to save sinners, not out of your own work, not out of your own doing, but even in spite of your sinful rebellion, Jesus came to save you with his own body, his death and his resurrection. The only way that can become a belief is the right information, of course, but for someone to show that it's real by embracing those outside the faith. Embracing others, it's to be a witness, it's not just to be nice. So with that, I want to quickly end with this. How do we do this? And I'll make it quick because I know time is running out. Uh, I want to get as practical as possible. I hate doing this because oftentimes I want to leave it to you, but I, part of our value series is giving imperatives and directives, and I hope to do this. Really quick caveat first is this. I hope this doesn't mean, like, this doesn't mean you need to befriend every single person in our church and become best friends. At our staff meeting, one of the members were like, hey, does this mean like, I need to invite everyone to my wedding? And I was like, that's, that's not sustainable. It's probably not healthy. 
And we'll talk about that and what it means to build a community in a couple of weeks. But I think it means this. Can we actively seek those outside of our comfort zones here at church? How do we do that? Three directives or just, you know, ideas. And they're all centered on the number one. I'm making it simple. And if you just pick one, okay, just pick one and do it for the rest of the year. The first is this. How do we do this? How do we do this here actively at True North? Can we meet not three, not two. Can we meet just one new person every Sunday, even if you feel new? Can we meet just one new person every Sunday? Because this is the thing. This worship room is a very weird collection of people, of different people, of all variety of people. And think about this. There's nothing like this in your life. Like, in work, everyone at least is like kind of, it's, this, it's like a frat. Like, if, you know, not, I've watched Silicon Valley. Like, every coding kind of culture is the same. Like, if you do CrossFit, it's the same. Like, everyone wants to work out. There's some sort of similarity. But at church, it's the one place where it's in your life, if you're here, that you have the opportunity to meet someone radically different than yourself. Can we do that? Because this is the thing. If we make this a value, what we're saying is this. Welcoming and hospitality. It's not a ministry at our church. It's not a team that you can serve, but it's a value. It's something that all of us, we hope, can live out. Sunday is a unique time to meet someone that's new and embrace those you would never encounter anywhere else. Can you do that? And I'll say this. It's not just if they are new, but I would say there's some of us here where, like, you've seen someone for, like, three years at True North, and it's gotten past the point of, like, awkwardness where, like, I, I can't introduce myself anymore. It's kind of too weird, right? Because I've seen them. They've seen me. I don't know their name. It's been too long. Even the, as, you know, you can use this sermon as an excuse, but, hey, I've seen you for like three years. What's your name? Can we just do that? If we, if we, and this is the thing, I understand, because me and Jay talked about this a lot, and what we realized is on a Sunday is a time of restoration and rest, and if you want to meet friends you haven't seen in a while, I think leave space for that. But every Sunday, if we all collectively individually as a value, meet one new person, one new person every Sunday, I, would, I think the culture would radically change. And this is more, hey, look, as a parent, please do this. <laughs> Look, I, I, as a parent, I know this too. Like, we, we love talking to parents because we can, like, dude, this sucks, right? But can we just radically find someone new every Sunday? Second, if that's too much, if you're like, hey, I'm not, I'm not extroverted, totally get it. Totally get it. Jesus was not extroverted either. Can we do this? Can you share one meal in your house once a month with someone new? Maybe you already do this. But maybe you can focus it this way. John Mark Comer puts it really well and beautifully. He says this, eating a meal together with Jesus isn't a sign of the kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. Eating a meal with some, uh, together with Jesus, it isn't a sign of the kingdom. It is the kingdom. Why? There's something about meals and food, and I wish I could do a whole sermon on this. It opens the soul to much more levels of depth and intimacy. Like I, if I meet you for the first time and I'm like, hey, how you doing? Like, what are you struggling with? It's like, oh, like, no, no, don't do that. But if you have a meal, if you have a glass of wine, if you have some ice cream or dessert, and then how are you really doing? On a full stomach, for some reason, the, the relationship and, and conversation, you know this, radically changes. Can you do that? Can you fight for conversations over the table of curiosity, depth, and transformation? Can we seek to share a meal once a month with someone new? And if that's too hard, this is something we can all do. And I'll end with this. Is there one uncomfortable relationship that you can fight for in your life? Is there one uncomfortable relationship you can fight for in your life? 
Jesus embraced others and outsiders, but his main difficulty was probably embracing his own disciples, the people he had to see every day, because one of them tried to kill him, and, and he did. And yet Jesus chose them for a reason. I would say this, there's always someone that you're in conflict with. There is always someone that is suffering and it's uncomfortable to bring it up. Or there is someone for some reason you cannot shake. It's like, why are you at this church? Why are you in my community group? Why are you in my workplace? I don't know, it could be. Can you fight for space to embrace them in your life? Just one in your life. The others, you can, you can shut them out, but just one. And see what happens as a church. I'll close, I'll close with this. Can we strive to become a church that embraces those outside of ourselves just as Jesus has shown us all the way to the cross? Because that's what the gospel message is. It is one of embracing those unlike Jesus to the point of death. Can we do that here at True North? Let's pray.